Salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Amber Relay Show on the planet, the John Campia Show, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around to talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, not just giving you our opinions, but trying to give you some context and information so you can have your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely different from ours. Uh, joining me today is Ray Ora, Jonathan Voico, Chris Carr, and most importantly, you guys here joining us today. Thanks so much for making this show part of your day. And uh, yeah, we got a bunch of things to talk about here today, so let's dive right into it, shall we? We're going to start off with this. We did a video about this on the YouTube channel a little bit earlier today. But Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, a movie that we've been waiting, I want to say about five years for, since they first announced that they were going to do it. And then it went through some changes. You know, at some point, I mean, it got delayed. Then it got delayed again. Then Steven Spielberg left the project. Uh, uh, Why am I freezing on the name of the director? Uh, For this one, James Mangold. James Mangold, thank you. James Mangold came on board. Of course, director of Logan. I I mean, I just love him. He's fantastic. Almost, I think I liked every single one of his movies. He's incredible. Oh, he's so good. And uh, now it's finally played. It's played for an audience at the Cannes Film Festival. And the reactions are, well, mixed. About half the critics don't like it. A little under half of them do. As of when we recorded the video earlier today, it was at 47%, which means they're not saying the movie is a 47% movie. What they're saying is 47% of the critics who have seen it liked it, which means 53% of it had not. That number's actually dropped. As of this recording now, two more percent. So as of right now, 55% of the critics do not like the movie, 45% of the critics do. So it's still pretty close to down the middle, but it's leaning and it's trending towards the negative. Not what everybody wanted to see. I think everybody wanted the Indiana Jones movie to be great. And listen, like I said in the video earlier today, I haven't seen this movie yet. I may end up loving it. I hope I do. But, you know, Chris, one of the things I said in the video we did earlier today was the fact that what we can tell from the mixed reaction is that this isn't going to be the movie that brings everybody together to go, yes, this is the send-off Indiana Jones wanted. Uh, which is too bad. Again, I, I myself might end up loving it. I might myself end up hating it. I don't know yet, but it doesn't look like it's going to be that harmonious, everybody loved it, big send-off to this character, which is too bad. You know, we just came off of Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which most audiences loved and felt like this was a great send-off for the Guardians the of the Galaxy. great unifier. We all hate people who abuse animals. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right? We hate Nazis. <laughs> we hate Nazis. Which we should hate work for abusers. Indiana Jones, and we hate people who abuse animals. Fun fact, they hang out in the same circle of hell. That's just science. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. very informative. I like. I, Thank it's you. good to have this little bit of information. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, are you surprised? Like, I, I'll be honest with you. We saw about a 15-minute clip of it at CinemaCon. And while it didn't blow my mind, I thought, well, this feels very Indiana Jones. Yeah. And I walked away pretty happy with the 15 minutes we saw. But anyway, I, you're seeing these reactions now. I don't know. What are you thinking about it? What we saw at CinemaCon was classic indie. You know, that bustling city with a car chase and everything happening. Phoebe Waller-Bridge giving quips, Harrison Ford firing them back. The John Williams music playing with it. Yeah, this seemed like a no-brainer of this is classic Indiana Jones doing what Indiana Jones does best. So it is a little disheartening to hear that the reviews have been so mixed on it. And what I keep seeing over and over again, too, is that this one is just a very complicated plot. Things get very convoluted with a lot of red herrings and things mm. like that. Uh, I'm also hearing some things just about the nature of the use of CGI in the film that, you know, the digital de-aging of Harrison Ford has done quite well. However, other things look pretty fake. And some of that too, I think in, in this current landscape of film where we're using so much CGI and we have so many environments that have looked really realistic, we do have your most, you know, normal regular Joe going to the movies who still spots this CGI and goes, that looks fake. They're on the stage. They're not in a real place. And then you have, you know, your discerning production person saying, oh yeah, these are the really good things. This looks really amazing. So I feel like everyone as a whole now looks at movies with a, a fine microscope and we're a little more judgmental than we used to be. As long as I have a fun time at an Indiana Jones movie, I'm pretty happy. You know, I don't think, because I, I recently we watched it, as you guys know, Logan is a huge 
Kingdom of the Crystal Skull apologist. <clears throat> right. I know, I know. It's in our wedding vows, you guys. It's ridiculous. No, they are not. Yes. They're in your wedding vows. In our wedding vows. Logan put them I, in your wedding vows. I put them in our wedding vows. You put them in the wedding vows. I still loved him, even though he loved this movie. Oh, that's great. Because it's an indicator <laughs> I'll of how allow he, that. That's he likes great. fun. You know, as long as he's a good time, he's in for it. But we rewatched it with our friends recently, and it's not as bad as I had remembered it. <laughs> it's still not great. The third act falls apart. So the only thing I'm really clinging to here is it's better than the last one. But man, it's a bummer that people don't really like this one either. I really wanted this to be a great swan song for Harrison. It seems like most of the issues are, and I, and I, I kind of hold them, I take them with a grain of salt because most of the issues are, well, I don't like when they de-age them and they go back because they're just trying to rehash old vibes and not doing something yeah. new. And I'm like, I don't, at, at his age and where the story is, I kind of feel like this is... This is a swan song, and I'm okay with that. It this is something new in a sense. I mean, I they're so taken aback by the de aging, and they 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 feel like it's some kind of a cheat. Yeah, I haven't seen the movie, so I can't say for sure that's true or not. But I I take those critiques with a grain of salt because the other half, the positive is this was a great adventure. It's so much fun, and it's like, well, that's what I'm looking for. It's yeah, pulp. Well, that's what's so confusing is now when we go see movies again, like. Even your average moviegoer is just, oh, well, I this looked weird, and this is odd, and this is that. And then, you know, the thing that we always come back to is story and character. And I have to believe that there is a reason that Harrison Ford got a five-minute standing ovation at Cannes, not just because he's Harrison Ford. Right. I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, it's—look, nostalgia is like anything else, right? It can be a tool in the tool belt of the director— and like any tool, it can be used well and used badly. I will never critique something just because it has nostalgia. I'll never think something is good just because it has nostalgia. It's do you use it well? Do you go in there and because, you know, a, a great example of a movie that did it great was the Mario Brothers movie. Right. They did that really well. Now, that, that film has its weaknesses. Mario Brothers has its weaknesses. But man, they they knew how to touch on the nostalgia thing. Well, you know what didn't do nostalgia great? What was actually a movie that I love Top Gun Maverick. Oh. Um, they actually sometimes like they 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 handled nostalgia badly. Like I get it, they wanted like in one scene of Top Gun Maverick, you know, uh, Rooster shows up, who's of course Goose's kid, and boy, did they direct that scene badly. Because I get it, we wanted to remember that great scene in the first Top Gun, where you know Goose sits down at the piano, and they play Great Balls of Fire. So what do they do? Well. There's audience doesn't understand subtlety. So we got to have Rooster show up in the same tacky Hawaiian shirt, wearing the same style sunglasses with the same style of mustache. And when he walks into the bar, that does not at all look like a bar that somebody would sit down and start playing a piano in. He's going to sit down and not only start playing piano like his dad, he's just so happened going to be playing the exact same song that his dad played. And I remember watching that going, I love this movie. I love Top Gun Maverick. I was all for it getting a Best Picture nomination. Mm -hmm. But it didn't do the nostalgia stuff well. It, it like, they, handled it poorly. I so, would say they did half the nostalgia because they really brought me back to that trench run in Star Wars. <laughs> yes, beautiful so, nostalgia. So it's not I the just, size of the nostalgia. That's how yeah. you use it. All they needed to do was use a little bit of the X-Wing jet propulsion sound and when Tom Cruise is flying his uh, his fighter pilot. <laughs> but so look, so when I hear nostalgia is being used a lot in Indiana Jones, that is not a bad thing to me. It's not a good thing to me. It's just like, okay, so they're going to go for nostalgia. I just got to see if they do it well or not. Yeah. So we'll see. Guys, uh, question is for you. You're hearing all this talk now. The reviews are coming out. They are not the reviews they were hoping for. They're not garbage. I mean, half the critics seem to like it, but that number is dropping. What do you guys think about that? Whatever you think, jump down to the comments and let us know. All right. With that down, uh, let's go on to this about maybe movie franchises that have gone on a little bit too long. I went to go see Fast X last night. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to make Ray go see you. it, but because I because of the Laker game, which the Lakers lost, by the way. Aw. Uh-huh. No, I, I like the Lakers. Um, the Lakers lost because of the Laker game. I couldn't go to an earlier screening. I had to go to a 10 p.m. screening. So I know Ew. Ray would not be able to survive that. No. Especially a two, two and a half hour movie. Mm -mm. So I put up my out of theater reaction last night. So let me say some of the things that I said in that reaction, but let me expand on them a little bit. One of the things that I start off my out of the theater reaction with for Fast X is think of everything you can do wrong in a movie. Fast X does it. Oh, damn. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It is. One of the most 
blatant displays of incompetence in filmmaking <laughs> I have ever seen. I, I don't understand the confusion because did you see the trailer that I watched? <laughs> Look. The microcosm of I, mediocrity. I want to believe a man can drive down, down a dam. That trailer oh. is a microcosm <laughs> oh, that's of mediocrity. Not, that's not the biggest thing they did in the movie. Oh, no. Um, but, okay, so there's a there's a huge but coming here in a second, okay? But <laughs> getting back to the oh, original point. huge butts. The dialogue. <laughs> I knew that was coming. The dialogue in this movie. That wasn't me. Is on par. And I do not mean this to be facetious. I do not mean this to be hyperbole. The dialogue in this film is on par with the great Vanilla Ice's Cool as Ice dialogue. So you loved it. <laughs> Except the Vanilla Ice dialogue was so bad, it's awesome. This was just bad. No. Like horribly bad. Every time anybody, any, every time anybody other than Jason Momoa spoke, I wanted to gouge out my eyeballs and my ears. That's how I felt about Tokyo Drift. I mean, yeah, me too. But actually, no, I'll, I'll go. I think in many ways, Tokyo Drift is a superior movie. Hell yeah. To Fast X. Now. It's based in reality. The plot has so many massive holes in it. <laughs> so many holes that I can't even talk about here because they would be considered big spoilers, which is why I was not planning on doing a Fast X open spoiler discussion. But just because I want to talk about how huge the plot holes in this movie are. I, we have to do, we're going to do an open spoiler discussion on Sunday. So do come by and join me for that. But the plot holes are massive. It's like, oh, here's a twist at the end. And you're like, wait a minute. This, this, and this happened early in the movie. This twist makes absolutely zero logical sense. Hey, look, Vin's driving down a dam. I mean, it, whatever. On so many levels, this is one of the worst examples of filmmaking you can see now. With that being said... <laughs> What are the good things Let's about hear it? it? There Let's are redeeming it. qualities about the film. First and foremost, I already mentioned it. Jason Momoa as the villain Dante, I think is my favorite villain the Fast and Furious franchise has ever had. Okay. I'm not necessarily he's the most menacing we've ever had. Like Jason Statham was a pretty great menace, as was Luke Evans. But this is my favorite villain. Uh, every moment... Jason Momoa's character was on screen. I was really entertained. I love the nature of the character. He's a little bit, what's the best way to put it? He's one part Drago, one part Joker is, is the best way I know how to define it. And I mean that all in the best way possible it, because it plays well. Like there's a scene in the trailer that looked a little bit weird, but watching in the movie in context and watch, I've seen him on screen for a bit. You know, the scene in the trailer where it looks like they're at the car race and he's introducing himself to goes, I'm Dante Oshante. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the trailer, it's like, that's weird. But then once you see him for about 10 minutes in the movie, and then they get to that scene and he does that. It's like, this is so Dante. It's so Dante. And that was really every moment. Jason Momoa's on screen. I loved. Also, I got to say this. The action in the film is great. It's great. There's always a lot of action in Fast and the Furious, and not all of it is always great. The action in this movie is fantastic, particularly the hand-to-hand -hand combat scenes, which, I mean, at the one point stretches the reality, your, your scope of what you believe in reality, because anybody who's part of Dom's crew is a world-class mixed martial artist. Like, they're all top of the field in the world mixed martial arts. I thought they'd been fixing cars their whole lives. You got to know Kung Fu to be able to fix a car, mm -hmm. yeah. apparently. But the hand-to-hand -hand combat fights were great. Like I, I, Everything from the choreography of them, the cinematography of them, the originality of them, the pacing of them, none of the hand-to-hand -hand fights went too long. Like They were really effectively done very, very well. Also, the car chase stuff was thrilling. What I said in my video was that they took the utter ridiculousness factor from part nine and toned it down a bit to say fast seven levels, still completely asking you to suspend disbelief in what the laws of physics and reality are, but not quite as egregiously as they did in nine. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Although there is one shot in the movie involving a car and a crane that are kind of fast nine level stupidity and ridiculousness. But, you know, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit in the uh, open spoiler discussion. Are you going to talk about that one part? Which part is that? Where uh, Vin Diesel opens up that small garage. 
and then he sees all these car parts, you know, these abused car parts. Oh, and then the catalytic converter goes Jeez. and touches his nose. Get out. It touches his nose. <laughs> I That part killed me. He looks at the sign. It says Toretto's Junkyard. <laughs> and now he realizes he's Toretto. You're mixing You're mixing with Guardians oh, sorry, 3 sorry, again. Sorry, sorry. Oh, dang sorry. it. Oh. Wait, You've been okay. in this fever dream. I, uh, I was going to watch these movies so I could go watch Fast X. And now, <laughs> and now, you don't I hate this plan even more. And I don't want to get my sick husband even more sick by watching these. Do is is there value in me still watching this franchise? That's like you saying I, wanna, never gone? I was going to go and cut off all my fingers before cutting off my hands. Yeah, <laughs> I'm having a real banshees of an Asheran kind of week. Yeah. No, I'll say this. No, look. Um, you should absolutely watch franchise. Okay. Fast four, fast five. I mean, where it really starts getting good is fast five, but fast five, so fast I have to watch six, four fast movies seven. Till it gets good. You know what? I'm five, starting you know, five, you five, six, seven. Them. You're good. I'm, I'm starting from the beginning. You know, I'm you can go right it. to just four if you want okay. and just start from there. But well, five, six, and lore. seven, in my opinion, are excellent. Okay. I liked eight. Nine is a disaster, but five, uh, six, seven. Here's the other thing that didn't work in the film. Even in some of the not so great Fast and the Furious movies. Humor was always a fallback for them. Like the, the humor usually worked. The humor didn't work in this movie. It was not funny. I think Pete Davidson is in uh, is in a scene and he's got some pretty good lines. Okay. But there's really not a not many of the jokes land very well. So it's it's a very, very much a mixed bag. Look, do I think this movie is better than Fast Nine? Yes. Yes, that Fast Ten is better than Fast Nine. Is it a lot better? Mm. I don't know if I would say it's a lot better, but again, Jason Momoa makes it worth it. The car chase stuff kind of makes it worth it. The hand-to-hand combat stuff kind of makes it worth it. I, I, Bad I, humor, I, terrible dialogue, massive plot holes. But great action? <laughs> so it's the Revenge of the Sith of the Fast and Furious franchise? Does Revenge of the Sith have great action? I think so. I think it's got its moments. I like their fights. I mean, I, I will say this. I've heard it on good authority, Chris, though. You can consider it. I've considered it. Mm-hmm. If you start from fa- the first, the very first, the Fast and the Furious, all the way through, mm-hmm. you can actually atone for all of your sins. <laughs> <laughs> they that consider that sense. penance in that some countries. That makes sense. All right, guys. <laughs> questions for you. Did you? It's now out. It's available. You can go see Fast X. Uh, what did you guys think about the movie? Make sure you let us know. All right. Let's talk about this next thing. This is another topic we brought up on um, on the YouTube channel today, and we made an individual video about it where we discussed it. But, you know, they announced today that Disney Plus and Hulu are dropping over 50 titles. 50. And when I say dropping, I'm glad Ray pointed this out. I don't mean they're arriving. I mean they're dumping. <laughs> dumping over dropping. 50 titles, including certain titles that were very anticipated. Why the Last Man? Gone. Willow, which they just spent a couple of years pumping and promoting and buckets of money on that show. And they, woo. And then they're dumping. It's gone. They're dumping it off the thing. I believe they said the date is May 26th. So if you want to watch why the last man on Hulu, if you want to watch Willow on Disney plus now's the time because they're disappearing on May 26th. And again, a list of about 50 other titles. Now we know why they're doing it. It's a cost saving measure. Shows that sit on streaming services are not shows that are on that are available online that you rent and buy. They have different sorts of revenue share ideas. For for sites like say, I don't know, Vudu or Apple TV Plus. I don't even know if Vudu's still a thing or not. Uh, the Google Play Store, Apple TV Plus, you can go buy a movie, rent a movie. Apple doesn't pay the movie makers or the TV show makers any money if the if the their show or movie is just sitting there. They only have to pay the producers of those movies and TV shows, when somebody rents it and when somebody buys it, they, they get a cut of that. It's different for the streaming services. Just being there on the streaming services, you got to pay the producers and you got to pay royalties and you got to pay all that kind of stuff. And so what we have here is a situation where Disney is like, okay, here's 50 shows that I guess they're looking at saying, nobody's watching. And if nobody's watching, that means they're not responsible for bringing in new subscribers. And if nobody's watching, that means they're not responsible for keeping our current subscribers. I was just looking at the list, John, and my heart was pumping so much because I was like, please don't have this full on this list. 
and it's not on there. Thank you. Because I love this fool. That show on Hulu is really good. I, I thank God it didn't make that list. Ray's, Ray's talking about the list of, of all the stuff they yeah, got yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just looking at it right now. So Disney and uh, Disney is looking at this and we've got all these shows and these aren't bringing any viewers. So they're not keeping our subscribers and they're not getting us new subscribers. So we're just paying out billions of dollars for nothing. And they decide, well, time to... It's like a bit gym membership you don't use. It's just, this is just costing me 25 bucks a month. Do you just keep it? No, you get, you dump it, unfortunately. And they decided to dump it. And, you know, Chris, we kind of touched on this earlier, but it really is one of those situations where I can, it sucks for everybody. You know, Disney in 2022 alone, Disney paid, spent $30 billion on content. 30 billion dollars on content. And now they're just have to throw in the white flag on a lot of these things they paid for and say, well, we didn't, we, we took a bath on this. We didn't, this didn't do anything for the artists involved. They get their dreams to come true. They get to make these shows that they wrote or envisioned or dreamed about. They get to come into act and be on a major platform like a Disney plus they get to take on and play iconic characters. They get to design these sets and, and, and create these worlds and all this kind of stuff. And now being told we're just getting rid of it like we don't even want it it's one of these situations where i understand the feelings of both people on both sides of it but i you know you saw this and yeah. as an artist yourself as an actor who's somebody who works on that side of things how are you feeling about like all that content now just getting dumped it's such a big shakeup for all of us. You know, when HBO did it, and particularly gunning for animation, especially with the kind of acting I do, that was really, really heartbreaking. And to see this trickle over to other streamers, we knew it was coming. We've all seen the writing on the wall, but it still doesn't make it any less upsetting to have something that was made by so many people. I mean, it takes such a village to make anything. Regardless of whether or not you all like the outcome, it takes so many people to make a television show, to make a movie. And it's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And to have it just Kaiser Soze and no longer <laughs> exist is really upsetting. I mean, I have, I have been in so many anime that have no longer existed on streaming. And I'm so happy that I still have this little DVD that I can go back to and say, hey, there was this thing I was really proud of and maybe it didn't get commercial success, but I'm really, really proud that I got to be in this or this is the first thing I ever did. And I'm so happy I own this so I can still go back and see how I've grown. And these streaming shows don't have that option when they're created specifically for the streamer when you don't have that, hey, buy this episode option right? Buy this DVD pack, buy this special edition. It just no longer exists. And sure, it costs billions of dollars, apparently, to do these things. Again, I've mentioned this on the video we did. I want to see hard numbers from folks. Don't keep talking to me about how much money you need to save, how much the algorithm is actually playing things, how many things are actually being streamed. If you're not being transparent with your numbers, I don't really have much care for you talking to me about them right? Data is something that we all can talk about logically. Data you can't argue with. When you give me nebulous stuff, that's when I can argue with you is, no, give me a number, write me a number, slide a piece of paper across a table <laughs> like they do in the movies. Let's go. So when they tell me that it costs them so much money, my brain just immediately goes to, yeah, because you have to pay us. And that's not negotiable. You have to pay your artists, especially when we make so little. So yeah, you're going to save money by no longer paying residuals, by no longer paying your writers, by no longer paying your actors, because when these things don't play, you don't have to give them that money anymore. And to be clear too, when you have all this non-scripted content start coming to these channels, yeah. which you will, because we're in that strike and you're going to get more of it and it is cheaper ultimately, don't get it twisted, you guys. Those are still people who are personalities and writers. They're just non-union, so they'll never get residuals. Even when I do buy those episodes, I've got a friend on Say Yes to the Dress. You bet your damn Skippy I bought her episode and she's <laughs> never going to see a dime. But I have that forever now. So there's a lot of different moving parts here. And I can completely understand from a business model why you wouldn't want to have things on there that maybe aren't getting the traffic you want. It just still doesn't sit right with me. But I mean, if, if, if it was, look, one of the things we can all trust in is that these corporations are greedy. Absolutely. Right? We can we can 100% all agree on that. And if, so it it stands to me that if these things were making them money, they wouldn't pull them down cuz they're greedy. Yeah. I and and so I just I wish there was a third option. 
I Same. wish there was a third option for everybody. Um, anyway, guys, uh, question is for you. Did you see that list that's out there about all the shows and movies that are being pulled down off Disney and who? I mean, uh, maybe many of them will still live on those purchase or rent sites that you can go get. So they're hopefully they're still going to be around in some form like that. I don't know. Whatever you guys think, jump down in the comments and let us know. All right. Let's do this uh, last one here today, shall we? Before we move on and start taking your questions. John Wick. Pew, pew, pew. This is a franchise that, you know, listen, nobody, no, there's no movie out there that everybody loves. There's not, not The Godfather, not Casino, not Citizen Kane, not Star Wars, not Lord of the Rings. There is no movie out there ever that everybody loves. That being said, I don't think I have personally, and I'm only speaking from my own experience, I don't think I've ever talked to anybody personally who said, yeah, I don't like those John Wick movies. I'm sure they exist, 100%, all film subjective, absolutely they do. But I do not personally recall a time in my life that I ever came across a situation where somebody said, yeah, those John Wick movies, they're not for me. I don't, uh, I don't really care for them all that much, to be honest with you. I don't think I've ever seen that. Now, that being said, the John Wick franchise is one that's been pretty much beloved and adored. And I still remember with John Wick 4 coming out, getting into this big online argument where somebody was screaming at me that I'm a moron because I didn't think John Wick 4 was going to be a billion dollar film. And I was just like, I, I don't think you have to be particularly smart to know it's not going to be a billion dollar film. I mean, all you have to do is look at the box office results of all the other ones. They're like, yeah, but everybody loves them. And I said, I agree everybody loves them, but they don't do that much money. Well, John Wick Chapter 4 is the now the record, record holder for the franchise, the most money the franchise has ever made with $425 million, which beats what, Ray? Uh, Black Adam, baby. True. John Wick <laughs> Chapter 4 beat out Black Adam. And Shazam 2 and a bunch of other films. And so, I mean, it did great for it. And it, that means it's the highest grossing one. Now, the John Wick franchise may not be a billion-dollar franchise in the sense that it has no individual movie that made a billion, but something significant happened in the last 24 hours. Mm -hmm. John Wick Chapter 4 has now, over the past 24 hours, crossed the threshold, and now altogether, the franchise in total has crossed the billion-dollar mark. Yeah. Could not happen to a, a better, nicer guy than Keanu Reeves, good Truly. Canadian kid, and, of course, the franchise of John Wick, which, if this was the last one, notwithstanding Continental and Ballerina mm -hmm. and those extended spinoffs that are coming, if this was indeed the last John Wick, it's really nice to see it get over that line and say it is, as a franchise, a billion-dollar franchise. And it didn't take 12 parts to do it. They were able to do it in just four. No one went to space. And, and no one went to... They did it without going into outer space. Amazing. <laughs> Unbelievable. But it does raise an interesting question for me. Like, while I'm super thrilled for it crossing that billion-dollar mark, it does kind of make you pause and go, well, a, a movie franchise that is so good and so many people seem to feel so positively about it why have none of them made over 425? Like, why have all the made in the sub, the whatever billion dollar marks? Ray, why, why do you, uh, why, why is, why haven't they done even better? You know, I, I, the only thing I can think of is the people that actually don't like the John Wick franchise just ha haven't watched any of them. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, th these movies, there's a lot of stuff that maybe people don't like. A lot of violence, a lot of killing, yeah, a lot, lot of, of uh, guns. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, just like they're just not into that. This is not my genre. As much as I love John Wick, I don't watch these, these kinds of movies. Yeah, yeah, these kinds of movies. Um, it took me a long time to watch The Raid. Like people kept saying, "Hey, watch The Raid, watch The Raid." That was my first exposure to this gun fu or what right. they call it. Um, so, other than this John Wick franchise, I'm not watching anything unless someone really says, "You got to see this." Like Sisu. Sisu, yeah. Sisu, yeah. Which is done uh, yeah, by the same producers the as John Wick. Ooh. But generally, I don't go to the theater myself and be like, oh, this is a movie I'm going to I'm gonna watch no matter whether people are with me or not. You know you know, you love a genre when you go to a theater and watch it by yourself. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? So, like, this is not my choice. So I figured there's a lot of people who haven't even given it the time of day. Right. Ben, you had ended up really liking John Wick 4. 
Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, you that's, love that movie. It's between one and four that are my favorite. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Ray. Because, again, for me, this is not my kind of genre either because this kind of movie almost always guarantees you're going to see eyes gouged <laughs> yeah. That's true. And, and, and Chris has a thing with eye up. violence. If I see you ch- like change your contacts, I will yak. Touching eyes freaks oh. me out, man. Oh, oh wait, wait. I, I did a little off Chris, have yes. you seen there? You know, John, have you seen this on? They've they've released Mortal Kombat One. They're re-releasing it. Have oh yeah, the trailer. Trailer out no. there. Watch it. Okay. Watch it. Okay. Wait, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 is no, it, John. Is it so that I see nasty? No, eyes? John. She needs to see it because you Mortal Kombat's crazy, right? Yeah. Watch. Just watch. Okay. 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 Go ahead. Go All right. Ahead. I, I would say up, the thing. Be really I upset. Would say th- Jonathan. Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. Uh, I was just say, but yeah, I think a lot of people just assume this isn't going to be their kind of movie because it's a shoot 'em up. But we just talked about this with Guardians, right? You have a villain and cause you can get behind from that first movie. John Wick can do no wrong because, God damn it, those people killed his puppy that his dead wife got for him. Yeah. And from there on, you're in. You're absolutely in. And even though it is high octane action and everything and even though certain things are ridiculous the lore is so good the world building is so good you care for this character so much and everything else that happens in it too you're just fully committed to it I so just got angry again the guys who killed the puppy I just got angry again right now when you mentioned the Guardians thing and I'm like oh, <laughs> no. I'm so pissed right and now and that scene so where John Wick opens up that little cage oh. and all those tiny John Wicks come forward and touch his nose <laughs> he's like I'm not a Wick and then he sees he's like Wicks busy. Oh, it's he's also like, the John Wick um, franchise is a do- much darker tone so because I was thinking like <clears throat> excuse me I mean, okay, the fast thing has a lot of gun violence and everything else, too. But, I mean, it's poppy. Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of, like, movie stars you already know. It's flashy. It's stupid jokes, stupid dialogue, whatever. And and John Wick is somber, and it's a dark tone. And unless you're into going to the movies for that, it could be off-putting to some people. They're not so – a lot of people just want to go for the popcorn kind of thing. And although – John Wick, you know, could sort of be a popcorn flick. It really isn't. It's, it's a dark, serious yeah. tone. <laughs> when he cut off his finger, I keep going it's back sad. to that. That's not for me. Yeah. That's not for me. I'll turn <laughs> I mean, my head every time. It's, ro- it's rooted in a lot of sadness, too. And I, and, and I just think, you know, that, that carries over to audiences. Guys, question is for you. Number one, how great is it that John Wick hey. has now crossed the billion-dollar mark as a franchise? It's finally gotten over that finish. But, but why do you think that a, a film franchise, that... Most people seem to enjoy and like so much, and a lot of people get very excited, has not been able to do better. Anyway, whatever you guys think, make sure you let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, listen. We are now going to spend the remainder of our time taking questions from you guys, our audience, particularly our YouTube channel members. Those those of you who are channel members of our YouTube channel, we put up a community post asking you if you had any questions to send them in. We've got a bunch of them now, so we're going to get to that. But before we do, we're going to take a quick moment and thank a couple of sponsors of the John Campus Show podcast, our friends and my mobile service provider, Mint Mobile and ExpressVPN. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, ExpressVPN. Guys, it is 2023, and online privacy and security has never been more important. You see, every device, phones, computers, tablets, has a unique IP address, which is like an internet phone number and reveals personal information about you. It's super simple for somebody online who knows what they're doing to find your IP address. If you've ever clicked on a sketchy link or opened an email from somebody you don't know, your IP address could become exposed. Now, that's where ExpressVPN has your back. ExpressVPN is an app that hides your real IP address and replaces it with a dummy one, keeping you safe and private. And you don't have to be some kind of techie to use a VPN. Guys, it is so easy to use. Just download the ExpressVPN app on your phone or computer, tap one button to turn it on, and you're protected. And if you like your streaming entertainment, here's the coolest part. They let you choose what country you want your IP address to look like it's coming from. This is incredibly useful because services like Netflix and Disney Plus give you different shows depending on what country you're in. So secure your family's online activity and unlock tons of new shows by visiting expressvpn.com slash campia. Use my link and you can get three extra months free. That's express E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash campia. Go to expressvpn.com slash campia to learn more. We want to thank a sponsor of this video, 
Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, your utility bills and favorite streaming services, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. You guys know that ever since I switched to Mint Mobile, I've been saving almost 70% a month over my old phone plan. For people looking Looking for extra savings this year? Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All of their plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile and, of course, ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode of the John Campus Show podcast. Hey guys, remember when you support and check out our sponsors, you're actually supporting us. So do us a favor, look down in the description of this video. You'll find links and promo codes for our show's sponsors. And again, thank you to Mint Mobile and ExpressVPN. All right, with that down, guys, let's now go over and start taking questions from our channel members. Once again, you can become a channel member over on our YouTube channel. Just go and click on that channel member button and Please become one. All right, Chris, what do we got? From CJ Rebirth. Hi, Chris. Hi, CJ. Welcome back. Just want to tell you how much I really enjoyed the Bill anime and how certain scenes made me smile because it reminded me of Beauty and the Beast. Oh, it is so wonderful. I love that anime so much. And thank you for the warm welcome back, CJ. I told the guys earlier, I'm much like Tinkerbell. Without applause, I will die. So thank you. <laughs> from Cody Hunt. I just watched Fast 9 so I can see X tonight. Oh, boy. And I didn't think it was a train wreck. Maybe my expectations were so low, I actually enjoyed it. It's dumb fun and feels like the franchise has always been like that. You know what? There is something to be said about that. I I have seen movies. Well, it's gone both ways. I've seen movies that had all the hype in the world. And even though it was really good, I walk out feeling a little underwhelmed just because it didn't hit that huge high point, I thought, even though it was probably still great. But we've had the opposite happen, too, where I've gone in to watch movies that I've heard is so bad, like one of the worst things ever. So you're expecting the worst thing ever. And as long as it's not the absolute worst thing ever, you walk out going, well, that was better than I thought. Um, for me, Fast 9 is the worst thing ever. But uh, but I could I love the fact that you walked out and still got something out of it, man. That's important. All right. What's next? Tainted Virtues. Hi, John and crew. Could you explain at what point is a film considered a hit? What aspects have to be factored in? Thanks. A hit is as subjective as the word mm -hmm. pretty. Mm -hmm. it, it really will depend on the individual, right? A movie can make $100 million profit. And a lot of people would look at that and say, well, that's a hit. But then you get some people who may hate that movie or hate the people who make the movie. And they'll want to put a spin on it and say, well, it should have made $300 million profit. So therefore, it's a disappointment. It's really up to the, to, to, listen, I'll just tell you what my definition is. If a movie makes profit, it's a hit. If, if you make a movie where you employed hundreds of people and they all got paid and they all got to work on this dream job and you got this vision made and then you put it out in theaters and not only did it make enough money to pay all those salaries and pay all those people got involved and get that thing made, but on top of that, it even made money and profit for the producer so they walked away with more than they went into, to me, it's a hit. And what's, uh, what's the opposite? A shit? A <laughs> Boom. And a hit. Um, a, a flop, Sorry. right? The same thing. There are people, there are people out there, like people who approach these films with an agenda, right? Like I guarantee you, there, there are a bunch of Neanderthals with an agenda against not not everybody who's gonna dislike Little Mermaid. I may end up disliking Little Mermaid, but not everybody who dis who will end up disliking Little Mermaid are necessarily troglodytes. But you already can see when people are going into wanting a movie to fail and and have an agenda they want to fail. So there's a bunch of those people where, let's say The Little Mermaid makes $200 million profit. They will still spin it and say, well, it could have made $500 million profit. Therefore, it's a flop, right? And so it, the term hit, flop, success, failure, 
pretty, whatever. It, everybody makes up their own definition of it. You know, when it comes to franchises, I have no attachment to. I think mixed reviews are starting to become my favorite thing. It's because it makes me go to the movie and judge it for myself. That's the only, you know what I mean? Like you literally go with no expectations yeah, yeah, at that yeah, point. And yeah. you just see if you like it yourself. Like, cause sometimes when something's overly positive, sometimes something's overly negative, it kind of pulls you to whether you go watch it and see it. Those ones are like, Hey, if I care about this movie enough, I'm going to go see it. And then my opinion is more important than anyone else's. Right. So, all right. What's next? From Joel Secchi. Hey, crew, the threat of SAG and DGA striking must put increased pressure on the studios. If all three groups strike, do the studios have a choice but to negotiate quickly? Obviously, you literally cannot produce any product without writers, actors, and directors. Thanks. It all depends, Joel, because there there is a belief in certain circles that the studios want the strike. Um, that they want the strike because they believe, whether they're right or totally miscalculating, they believe that the pressure that will be on the artists will be greater than the pressure they face themselves and that they will be able to use the strike to bend the negotiations to their advantage. Which, let's be clear, I don't blame them for that. Everybody does that. When you enter into any kind of negotiations, you try to leverage your position as best you can to get the best deal that you can for you. We all do it. I get it. But nobody is going to walk away from this unscathed. They're going to, like, even if those whispers are right and that the studios actually want this strike to happen because they want to create an environment where they can force the unions to accept less than ideal arrangements, even if that's true, they're going to take a hit. The studios are going to take a big hit. It's going to cost them a lot of money. Now, they are of the belief, and they may be right and they may be wrong. They are of the belief that whatever hit they take right now in allowing the strike to happen will be less of a hit than if they can get the terms they want in the negotiation long term. And I'm sure that's probably how the union is approaching it, too. Like the union strikes understanding we're going to take a hit. But we will strike because we believe that the hit we're going to take now pales in comparison to what we could get in benefit if we strike now and then negotiate from a position of strength. So, no, the answer is no. Unfortunately, I don't think that if SAG and the DGA strike, I don't think that puts any added pressure on the studios because I think in their own way they want the strike to happen. I don't know, Chris, you're kind of more in the muck here because now we're not just talking about the WGA. We are now talking about you. We're talking about your union, the, Mm -hmm. the, the Screen Actors Guild. Um, do you think, first of all, what are your thoughts now? Cause I'm sure the thought can change day to day because this is an ever evolving situation. Where are you right now in your belief that SAG and the DGA will strike? And if so, do you think that will put added pressure on the studios to get a deal done? Do you think it'll put pressure on everybody involved to get a deal done? I don't know. How do you see this right now? I absolutely think we're going to strike because we already were voting on strike authorization right now. Our board unanimously voted to offer that to all of us members. And so now all of us, any of you who are SAG members, I keep looking to the camera thinking this is still a thing. All of you who are (laughs) SAG members, definitely go online. You don't have to wait to get your pin. You can go and get your pin sent to you so that you can vote immediately because these votes are due by Monday to authorize the strike. Now, what that means is if our negotiation terms are not met, then we have already authorized our union to go ahead and strike. Right. So your elected representatives, you are the the strike authorization is strictly you as the body of actors Mm -hmm. are authorizing your leadership to call for a strike. Exactly. If they choose to do so. If they choose to do so. And since the alliance was so recalcitrant to negotiate with the WGA because let's be clear, it wasn't even a negotiation. It was a no. It was no. There was no counter offer. Exactly. It was just flat no's. And I do not see them bending to actors. I really, really don't. So I think we will absolutely strike. I think the WGA will follow in suit because you got to remember too. um, The DGA, the Directors Guild. Yeah, because you think they will follow in suit? Because WGA is already striking. Yeah. um, uh, Everyone's going to strike, I think, because you also have to remember so many of these members, not only are we intrinsically tied because of the work we do, so many of us now also are members of all three unions. Right, yeah. And so you're not going to go, well, this one's going to strike, but I guess this one isn't. Solidarity is the, solidarity is the only way to move things forward. Um, little, little Ted Lasso spoiler here. Um, I know all of us want 
executives and corporate folks to have that great Rebecca moment and say, my God, don't you all make enough money? Why would you take away something that people love so much? That's not how this works. Right. And that's the sad part of it is that at the end of the day, it's money. It, it's money. And that's why we need to strike is so we can try to hurt these studios, these executives, et cetera, where it hurts on their bottom line with money. All right. What's next? From Christian Rodriguez. Positive vibes to you all and hope you all have a great weekend. Oh, you Aww. too, Christian. Oh, thank you, Christian. Appreciate that, man. Just to share some love. What a sweetie. Um, from Wesley Oldersdorf. Hey guys, Wes here from Australia. No question, just want to say I love the content and always enjoy listening to you guys bring on the filthy. Oh, thank you, Wesley. Appreciate that, man, very much. Oh, from Christian Rodriguez again. Do you think if Dune 2 does well that Denis Villeneuve will become WB, uh, Warner Brother Discovery's new Christopher Nolan? He already is. Ooh. I, no, he is. Uh, like I, He is Ooh. the new... Uh, they Look, they know what they've got in Denis Villeneuve. They know what they have. And they know that he could arguably, like I just, James Mangold is one of the best directors in the world right now and all that kind of stuff. Steven Spielberg is the greatest of all time. But right now, I believe the director who is at the absolute height of their power and who is right now, like LeBron James is, you can make an argument, the greatest basketball player of all time. If you, I mean, obviously Michael Jordan's in that conversation, but I mean, just broke the scoring record, all that kind of stuff. But he's not the best player right now, right? There are other players out there who right now are better. And I think Denis Villeneuve, is the man right now. He, I think he's the guy, and I think Warner Brothers knows it. You know, after CinemaCon, like, sometimes if you, of course I don't know um, him, but, you, so I, like, prejudge him by his looks, and every set photo I see, he looks really hard and stern. After CinemaCon, I have a better image of him because he was funny there. He was really oh, funny yeah. with uh, Timothy when he did his Chalamet? Yeah, he was yeah. great with Timothy. He's, he's, a, he's a lot different than I thought he would be because he looks a little stern in the, those set photos, maybe because... He's super concentrated on making a good movie. Oh, he's a very focused artist. But you know what? Here's the thing, too. Um, let's not forget, before AT&T sold Warner Brothers to David Zaslav and Discovery, uh, they Jason Kalar was the CEO of Warner Brothers. And, and Jason Kalar was the one who made that monumentally idiotic oh, move right. to take all the Warner Brothers movies coming out that year and put them on day-and-day -day release on HBO Max. And Denis Villeneuve wrote a scathing, scathing, <laughs> article op-ed for I think it was Variety just eviscerating Warner Brothers so I'm sure nobody loved the change in ownership at Warner Brothers more than Denis Villeneuve did but yeah I think he is their guy now all right what's next from Callum hey crew did you guys ever watch How I Met Your Mother in my opinion it's one of the funniest sitcoms of all time shame the ending sucked I watched it mm -hmm. I've never seen it Oh well, it was it was fun, and then yeah, that last season was kind of dog shit. I, I was a huge fan of it, especially the time it was like the early aughts and yeah. early to mid aughts. In my age at that time, it was like really like matched up with these the characters. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I agree. The end, it was sort of like, well, then here's the mother. Well, then she, you know, this happens, and it still ends the way you thought it was going to end the whole time. It was exactly. Kinda, like they just they, it fell apart. They stretched it out two seasons longer than it needed to be, but yeah, it was pretty pretty great. Yeah. All right, what's next? From Klein Sonier. Uh, hey, John and crew, how do we feel about Fast X? Peak <laughs> cinema, am I right? <laughs> Thanks, love y'all, and bring on the filthy. I mean, yes, if Marty Scorsese were to come into the room, and he would say, this <laughs> is cinema. <laughs> um, hey, listen, you know what? It. I mean, actually, let's continue to evoke Martin Scorsese. Like what he said once before, it's, it's an amusement park ride. Fast X is an amusement park ride. If you're going looking for a good story, this ain't it. If you're going looking for great dialogue, this ain't it. If you're going looking for great characters, this ain't it. So why am I going? If you're going to see some really great fights and some pretty dazzling car chases and a really charismatic, energetic, attractive, and when I say attractive, I mean our eyes are attracted to this character when they're on screen— the Jason Momoa character, then yeah, you could still go and have fun, I think. So it's going to be we one of those. We live in the Valley. We can just go outside and yeah, see I almost all like that shit. Exactly. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's that's true. I can't even, I don't even have a comeback for that because you're 100% right. All right, what's next? From Gannon. Hey crew, is there any chance Universal doesn't move ahead with Fast 11 if Fast X doesn't meet box office expectations? It depends by how much. If Fast X makes under $600 million, and I am not saying it will, by the way, I'm just saying, I'm just pulling out a hypothetical. If, hypothetically speaking, just for the sake of discussion, if we were to make under $600 million, I think they axe it. I don't think they make the next Fast and the Furious movie. 
Although there could be an argument to be made that, okay, this one lost some money, but you know what? Forget the third part of Fast X. That's off the table. But if we do Fast 11 or Fast X Part 2, whatever they're going to call it. Electric Boogaloo. And we let people know this is the final chapter. By the way, Ray, somebody mentioned this in the chat the other day, and I, and I did, had to do some numbers. The Fast and Furious franchise has been running longer than LeBron James has been in the NBA. It's been 20 plus years since the first Fast and Furious came out, which is nuts. But if they, there might be a belief at Universal that, hey, if we say this is the, come see the final chapter and blah, blah, that maybe they'll make more money. But yeah, I think if it goes over 600 million, even if that means they still lose a little bit of money, they're going to do the next one. If it makes under 600 million, that might be the line where they start to have conversations. So we'll see. All right, what's next? From Red One Real Talk, I'm holding out hope that we get a riveting speech from Optimus Prime with Linkin Park playing in the background in <laughs> Rise of the Beasts. Probably will. Even if the movie is a train wreck, a moment like that will be plenty to know I got my money's worth. What I've done. Listen, the Linkin Park music and the Transformers movies are awesome. I I, I love that it's music. Iconic. It plays so good. And Optimus Prime, listen, Optimus Prime, if Optimus Prime came to me in my sleep and said, murder your neighbors. I'd probably do it because wow. it's Optimus Prime. Your neighbors it's Optimus Prime. Wow. I would just assume he had a good reason Lock for telling doors. me to do it. Oh my goodness. Your Honor, what do you say for yourself? Your Honor, Optimus Prime told me to do it. Probably Case dismissed. It. I was going to say, what makes me sad is this sounds like a feasible, yeah. uh, like that could happen. A feasible oh, no. defense. Yep. Um, so yes, I would look forward to that too. I Again, I don't know how good this movie is going to do at the box office, but I know you put Unicron in there. I'm pretty excited to see this movie. It also feels like it's been a while since we've had a Transformers movie <laughs> for me. It feels like it, but you know, we had Bumblebee. I know, and I loved it, so I that can't wait for That was a little while one. ago, though. That was a little while ago. I can't wait ago. for this one. All right, what's next? From Dalton Burdett, do you think the mixed reviews of Indy out of Kayon uh, will hurt its opening weekend? Yes. Yep. Uh, how much? I don't know. Like, listen, Indy could still have a fantastic opening weekend. It could still have a great opening weekend, but it would have been better if it had gotten not mixed reviews coming out, right? Um, but yes, I, I do think it's going to have an impact on it. I, I, you know, there's a lot of people out there who try to say, ah, oh, critic, crit, what critics say about movies has no, inf-. yes, it does. Mm-hmm. And the studios know it. The studios have put a lot of money into studying this and to knowing that that is true. It absolutely does. Anybody who says the critics have no effect on what the box office does, you don't know what you're, you simply, they don't know what they're talking about. And you say, well, critics didn't like this movie and it made a lot of money. Yeah. But the studios will tell you that their data and analytics tell them that if they had gotten great reviews, it would have made even more money. So, yes, it does have an impact, and I do think this will affect its opening weekend. Which way and by how much? Not sure. All right, what's next? Shout out to King Tanik, whose birthday it is. Happy birthday, Israel. Oh, happy, happy birthday, King Tanik. Uh, from Brandon Salad. Hey, crew, have you checked out the trailer for the new Mortal Kombat 1 game? If so, what are your thoughts? Thanks, and bring on the fatality. Ray, you're yeah. just talking about. Okay, so what's the deal with this Mortal Kombat? What? what oh, so what is it? They're redoing the Mortal original Kombat, game? Like the original Mortal Kombat one, a whole new story, and Chris has to watch. Wait, there was a story. It's gonna be a bunch of eye stuff, though, Ray. Why are you looking away from me, John? Um, I think Mortal Kombat one looks great. <laughs> uh, the fatalities <laughs> are back, and um, I think everyone should watch it. I mean, it's a it's a different. Cha- I I really like the way it looks. I mean. It's going to be crazy. This mofo I'm brings so me a vanilla scone and lulls me so into excited. a sense of security and then tries to get me to see eye violence. If you haven't seen it, see, watch it. Watch it. <sighs> All right, what's next? From Michael Gonzalez, are you surprised that the early box office projections has Flash at $115 million to $140 million domestic open? I have not seen those numbers. Ooh, that- if that is true and accurate, that is fantastic. For- that is absolutely fantastic. And if it is, it's all because of the word of mouth that's going out about it. Going back to that thing, people don't care what the critics say. Well, yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. It, it, listen, the movie's fantastic. Andy Muschietti deserves every drop of success that they can possibly squeeze out of this. So again, I have not seen those numbers. I'll look that up and probably we'll talk about it tomorrow or uh, oh. Monday or something. <laughs> but uh, if it's true, that's absolutely fantastic. All right, what's next? From Arun Anda. What other movies do you think will make a billion this year other than Super Mario Brothers? My pick is Mission Impossible 7. Thanks and have a great day. It's hard to say right now because I had a couple that were on the board that now I'm not so sure. Like I I thought Fast X would, but then, well, I saw it. 
Um, and we saw that the opening weekend numbers are pretty soft. I mean, it could still get to a billion dollars maybe, but that was a good question. I thought Indiana Jones would be one that had a shot at getting to a billion dollars, but we're hearing the mixed reviews and that's going to affect it. So I'm not so sure about that anymore. I don't think any Mission Impossible movies ever made a billion. Ray, you can check that yeah, for me. Yeah, no, no, we, we, we talked about that. Did we cover that, that before? Yeah, I don't know that any Mission Impossible movies ever made a billion, it's but it's flash. possible because I'll tell you <laughs> what, Mission Impossible looks great. Yeah. It looks great. I do not believe Flash will hit a billion, but I do. I hope it does because, again, Andy Muschietti deserves it. He does absolutely deserves it. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. All right, what's next? From Augustine, have you seen the latest Ted Lasso episode? It got me in tears. Have not. I'm now, I'm at least two episodes behind. Oh. But I have loved this season. I've really enjoyed this season. It's certain things. I don't think it's the best season they've done. There are certain aspects of the season that I wish they would improve upon. But overall, I, I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that I've loved watching Ted Lasso this season every minute. I'm going to need you to catch up because I really want to talk to you about the latest episode because I think you're going to really like it. Okay. The last two, honestly, yeah, they've been so good. Well, the weekend is upon us. I will probably use some of that to do that. Sweet. All right, what's next? The Everything Entertainment Network. In the news, uh, in the, news the William Def... The William Defoe has joined Beetlejuice 2. It was kind of hidden, but it's now officially shooting. First photos were also captured of Winona Ryder on set. Yeah, so in the midst of all the, the casting announcements, all that kind of stuff, one of the ones that kind of came in quietly was that Willem Defoe was also joining uh, the cast, which is great. I love Willem Defoe. He's such a world-class actor. And listen, I'm not a big Beetlejuice guy. I, I never really have been. I mean, I like the original film, but I'm not... I don't think of it super fondly all the time, but adding a character of the caliber of Willem Dafoe, yeah, that gets you a little bit more interested. Do we know if he's playing uh, Catherine O'Hara's husband, if he's going to be replacing that actor, that problematic actor? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wasn't that same actor, Ferris yeah, Bueller? He's in Ferris Bueller. Oh, he's the principal. That's right. I don't know. That's Actually, that's a very good question. Fun fact, his his son lives back to back to my backyard. <gasps> really? Yeah. Dafoe's? And he, he no, 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 the, the actor from oh. uh, Ferris Bueller. The prob problematic actor, yeah. yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, no. All right, let's uh, do three more. Okay, from Kyle Fielder. Did you see the trailer for Shooting Stars, which is about how LeBron James made it onto his high school basketball team? I have not. I didn't, I'll be honest with you, I haven't even heard of it. Yeah, me either. I've not heard of that. So, I, but uh, but you know, I love LeBron James. I'll have to keep my eye open for it. Thanks You're for putting that on my radar. Right now with these playoffs, <laughs> yeah, usually, yeah, a little bit busy. All right, what's next? From Nathan Barron. Hey, can't be a crew. Pick one: Mission Impossible franchise or John Wick franchise. John Wick John franchise. John Wick. Yeah, yeah, listen, I, I there are some of the Mission Impossible movies I love. I'm not the biggest fan of one, two, or three. I, I liked three. I liked three. Didn't really like one. Didn't really like two. I thought three was good. It wasn't really until Mission Impossible 4 that I loved, but I've loved every single John Wick film. So for me, it would be John Wick. Yeah, I can't, I can't really say now because I haven't seen any of the Mission Impossible, so it would be unfair for me to even answer that. Yeah, I haven't seen them all. All right, last question. This one's from Kyle Fielder. Did you ever start watching Beef? It's such a good show. I didn't for a long time because it was one of those things that Ann and I had, we decided we were going to watch it together and we had to line up our schedules. Well, we haven't been able to do it because we have a couple of other shows. We do that with Ted Lasso. We do that with Succession. And it's hard for us to get our schedules lined up to watch TV together. So Ann finally got tired of waiting and she started watching Beef. Mm. What she, she think? She's three episodes in. She loves it. Okay, because okay. I didn't get it. I didn't get it when I first started. I remember I told you guys yeah, I started you did, it. Yeah. And I, I didn't finish the first episode. It's because maybe I just wasn't getting it. I don't well, feel like you experience rage on that level, Ray. Because mm, yeah, like my friends keep telling me that it's really great, but they need to take breaks from it because it's such an intense show. So no mm. one I know is binging it. They started and it was, I got two or three episodes in and then I went, you know what? I got to pump these breaks. Well, you know what Ann and I did yesterday? What? Something we've only ever done once before. We went to a Sonic. You know where you can actually Sonic do- America's Drive-In? Where you pull up to the drive-in and yeah. you order your food and they bring it out to your, to right. your car yeah, right there, yeah. right? They've got the best ice. We just, had, we decided to do that during halftime. Like halftime of the, of the Lakers game crushed. yesterday. Yeah. And as we're sitting there waiting for the food, Anne was talking about beef. She goes, well, now I want to watch Ali Wong. So in the Tesla, you've got the Netflix app. So we loaded up one of the Ali Wong comedy specials. Oh my God, that woman's funny. She's so funny. Whole and she's dirty. Oh my god, but wow, she's funny. There's this great line too where I started laughing and Anne's like, You're laughing a little too hard at that. She goes, because there's this joke where Ali wants like, I won't give the whole setup of the joke, but the going into it, she's like, Because men will do what women want. 
Do you know why? Because we are so very good at making life so unpleasant. And I I laughed and I was like, you're laughing a little too hard at that. I'm like, no, totally for no reason. <laughs> for no, no reason, reason at all. No, none. <laughs> I really hope just a horrible like abortion joke was happening right as your server skated on up to you. It was like, <laughs> and here's your ocean water. Uh, no, no, that did not happen. Oh, man. More about... Uh, Oral sex with successful women was the joke run she was running. Oh, there we that, go. Oh, my God. That was funny. <laughs> anyway. All right, guys. That'll do it. That's all the time we have. We got through as many of those as we could. But that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campy Show podcast. Thank you so much for making this podcast a part of your day. Big special thank you to all of our YouTube channel members who sent in those questions. Number one, because it gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, by being a YouTube channel member, you're actually supporting us and our shows. And we thank you guys so much for that support. Hey guys, don't forget, go on over and check out the videos that we put up on our YouTube channel. If you're not subscribed to this podcast feed, what are you doing? Subscribe to it today so it'll be here every day for you. So for myself, John Campia, Ray Ora, Jonathan Voico, Chris Carr, that'll do it for us for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye. <laughs>